You're listening to the Empty Stringers Podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. And uh, if you can he- hear in my voice the uh, ragweed that has bloomed, that means it's uh, officially fall whenever the ragweed blooms and I am uh, stuffed up for the next month and a half. It usually clears up for me sometime around November, you know, Thanksgiving time frame, and then December ends up being being all right. But uh, But yeah, it's got me good, but I don't mind so much because that means the fishing is great. And it is great right now. I did some fishing this past week. Had a uh, couple of customers out on the boat Thursday. And we knew that it was going to be a windy go at it. I had uh, a friend of mine and customer Ben on the boat. He had his father-in-law down from Nebraska. And we had kind of played it by ear and thought we might fish the afternoon just because the wind was going to be crazy, but it didn't really look like it was going to give us too much of a reprieve. And I thought the action might be best in the morning. And so we went for it and buddy, it was windy. And, uh, my trolling motor battery is still messed up. I have two lithium pros. I have emailed them and called them twice. And so far have had not great luck getting that thing uh, swapped out, but I'm going to call again, uh, tomorrow and see if I can't get this, this deal swapped out. I've got a battery that is under any kind of load dropping out and now it won't hold a charge at all. And so I've got a 24 volt system. One of the batteries is dropping out. So my trolling motor runs for all about three seconds and then, and then craps out. But I shouldn't need it very much this fall. That's kind of going to be a late December and then January, February, March, April, May kind of thing. Should be on the platform pushing the boat around for all of the fall. It just means there's a few days where it's going to get windy and dicey and you just got to roll with it. So that's what we had this past Thursday. But we got out there early. We spotted... Two schools of redfish. The first school we chased for a pretty good while, caught up to them. Uh, Floyd, uh, Ben's father-in-law, landed a fish off of that school, and then we went chasing another school, and that school quit on us before we got there, but we didn't spook them. They were just done doing their thing before we made it over to them. Not a big deal. Sometimes that can even help you because if, if you are chasing a school, that's more fun. I think it's more fun. You get the action. You get to see the fish. You get to see the backs and the tails out of the water and uh, the birds doing their thing. I enjoy that. But you're only going to catch one, maybe two fish off of that school. If the if the school breaks up naturally and they were undisturbed, they're going to hang around the pockets and corners and ambush points. They're going to be rooting around in the grass in that same area. And so I told the guys, I said, look, we're going to hang in this area and I want you just to pick it apart. So we stay there. We end up catching like three fish off of just right there in that area. And uh, 
So right about that time, I thought, all right, we're going to pick up and go to the other side of the marsh and check out some things there. But when we got over there, the wind was so bad. I told the guys, I said, look, there's fish all around these islands. I just, I'm going to slowly drift the boat and stop it and drift it and stop it. And I need you just to cover as much area as you can. Thank God we were we were doing that for all of about five minutes and Ben popped another nice redfish. Uh, and so we had, uh, we had five redfish, uh, we had boarded five redfish at, the, at that point. I think we had lost a couple of them. I can't remember. I think there were a couple fish that didn't make it all the way into the boat. They came unbuttoned. Uh, but we had five eats, five fish on, and the wind was horrible. So I had a game plan of a place to hide. Sometimes when I'm on the way back to the dock, I will run through some areas that I'm checking. I'll kind of go out of my way and just see if I spook a redfish uh, when I'm running. See if I see a redfish eat up against the bank. I'm just looking for some kind of action in some other place. Well, I knew there was this place that's tucked up out of the wind uh, for the most part. And I knew that there were not a ton of redfish in this place, but that we could, we may get lucky and, and get one or two out of it. And uh, shut the boat down. No more has crawled up on the platform and started pushing and Ben popped a nice 29-inch redfish. And that kind of made made it for the spot. So pulled around there, uh, didn't see much else, and, and went uh, to a to another wind-protected spot. Ended up catching a trout, a flounder, and one more small redfish. So not a bad trip. But the wind is tough, and someone's asking me, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, well, really, in the situation we were in on Thursday, the wind was blowing 18, 20 miles an hour most of the day. The only thing you can do is have a few places you know. I got some places that if it's blowing south, I can hide. If it's blowing north, I go to different places to hide. So I just go to my hiding spots for the north wind and hope that there's fish there. That's that's it. I mean, I've got, I've got maybe two or three good hiding spots when the north wind blows, and if the fish aren't there, it's going to be a tough day. But you have to pick. I mean, you you can't. Some when the wind gets up to twenty miles an hour, you cannot control the boat on the platform in any way that's going to allow you to fish and cover an area the way you need to. You, I, I'll try to drift it and I'll drop the power pole and I'll drag the power pole and I'll do all kinds of stuff and you can get some fishing done. It's just difficult. So uh, that's how Thursday went. I'm trying to remember how, oh no, sorry, that was Friday. Thursday it rained and uh, we had a, had a cancel trip, I had to reschedule it for later this month. So Friday, that's how that trip went. Now Friday afternoon, I took off and went to the Sabine Owner's Annual Dove Hunt. And so it's kind of an invitation-only kind of thing. It was at Hall's Bayou Hunting Club, and we had a blast. There's a raffle. There were 17 of us there. Brian had 17 prizes. And when your name, when you win a prize, your name gets pulled from the hat, okay? So I'm sitting next to Marco, and... uh just to give you a little bit of a background, like Marco is, Marco knows all the things about all the guns. He's on a shooting team. Uh, the guy, uh, 
for for a living, uh, for his profession, is proficient in uh, in marksmanship. Okay, he's that kind of dude. Well, we get down; it's just me and him left in the pool. All the prizes are gone except for the two grand prizes. One of those is a Bauman propeller that fits our Sabine boats, so be nice to have a backup. The other is a Benelli 28-gauge Black Eagle shotgun. Nicest shotgun I've ever held. So reason would tell you that Marco should win the shotgun. He just should. I should win the prop. But that doesn't happen. I ended up winning the shotgun, and I almost swapped and gave it to Marco but I thought, you know, this is not something I would have ever bought for myself. This is the nicest shotgun I'm ever going to own. I'll pass it down to my kids. It will be a good reason to take the kids hunting more. I want to do some squirrel hunting, some more dove hunting. Uh, I love to shoot a rabbit here and there and cook it. The thing is, I need a lot of practice. I missed I can't even tell you how many how many dove I'm. Well, I'll tell you this: I opened a box of twenty five shells. I'm embarrassed to say this. I opened a box of twenty five shells. I think I've got, I think I've got nine shells left, and I killed one dove. So you can do the math and figure out that I missed a whole lot of dove. But we had a really good time. Halls Bayou Hunting Club is a beautiful place. It was cool to get to meet a lot of the uh, a lot of the other Sabine owners, and we were all going to go out. Set, uh, what was it? Sunday morning. We we're going to kind of caravan our way out, but uh, a lot of the guys stayed up late and hog hunted the night before. They were out till two or three o'clock in the morning, so they kind of called it in sick. And I don't blame them. I'd have done the same thing. But I was all geared up and ready to go, so I I went fishing. Uh, but my allergies were, you can hear how they are now in my voice. They were 10 times worse. And uh, so I, I really didn't feel very good, but I wanted to go out and scout for this coming week, see if the fish had moved or not. And sure enough, they had moved a little bit, but I found uh, found where they were schooling. And I was on the water for two hours. I caught, I chased two schools. I caught two fish. I packed it in and... Uh, and went back. The weatherman can't get anything right. I'll tell you that because they were wrong about the rain last week. They were wrong about the wind forecast on Sunday. The wind was supposed to lay down. It was supposed to be a nice morning blowing 8 to 10. It was blowing 15, if not higher, all morning long. Super annoying. But that's just what you're going to deal with this time of year. The weather changes so much. We're going to have front after front after front begin to move in. How do you fish those fronts? Well, let me just say that you fish whenever you have time to fish. I, I guide trips on Thursdays and Fridays. So if I've got a front blowing in or if I've got poor tide movement or whatever, I just got to deal with it. I've got somebody coming out to fish and I got to make the best of it. And so let's talk about a few of the things that affect the moods of a redfish. Do you want to fish before a front or after a front? 
like I said, you're going to fish whenever you have time to fish, right? So let's talk about what you do when you're stuck fishing one of those conditions. When you are fishing a prefrontal condition, then you're probably going to have fired up fish, fish that are eating, moving well. You're going to have schools this time of year. Things are going to be on. It's easy. It's fun. Uh, you got your lines, pick of the litter. If you're, if you happen to be fishing during a front, you better hope that you're off the water before the, the rain and all that. But it, what happens this time of year is you get that Northwest wind and you can get a big dump. I saw some people looking at the forecast for this weekend saying that, uh, it, there was going to be a marsh dump this weekend. I don't think that's going to happen because unless the forecast changes, but all I saw was north wind. North wind is not going to dump the marsh. Got to be in northwest to dump the marsh. You'll have good water movement and you'll have a good outgoing tide. It's definitely not going to hurt, but you're not going to have a crazy, all the water getting sucked out uh, dump. It's just not going to happen. I'm looking at it right now to try to see what uh, Friday afternoon is going to look like. And the weather's changed already. So I don't know when the front's coming in. I guess it's coming in Saturday. Yeah, front's coming in Saturday morning. All I'm seeing, I see a little bit of west-northwest before it gets here. And then I see a solid north wind all the way through. And then a little bit of north-northwest. So I don't know. I mean, if that if it'll catch a little more west in the wind and you don't have such a true north, then you're going to see some pretty good water movement. But it's got to blow with that north uh, to northwest for a good, you know, eight hours at a decent velocity, probably 15 miles an hour or more to really affect the flow. So I don't think we're going to have a major uh, fallout unless we get some more west in that wind. I'm going to be watching that really carefully. Um, That's not going to ruin everything in the marsh once the water's gone because it's going to come right back in the next day or two. Uh, Usually the day after one of those fronts is tough, but here's what's good about it. So if you're fishing a front uh, the day after a front and you know those fish ate well, you need to go find uh, some clear water, which usually the water clears up nicely after a front because the water temperature drops. And when we have consistent water temperatures in the, in the mid to low 60s, the water is going to clear up. It's going to get gin clear. And when that happens, you're going to see fish after a front that are not tied to structure very well. They're going to be kind of roaming out in the middle. And they're going to be very skittish. You're going to have to put, uh, you're going to put your paddle tail a foot to foot and a half in front of them and then drop it as you're rolling it past them and you'll see them eat. If they don't eat on that turn, crank it in, put it six inches closer, try reeling it straight by their face. You just got to be a little more careful. Throw a fly. Uh, Usually those days are low wind because you have a lot of a lot of wind blowing in during the front you have low wind the day after the front usually for the next couple of days and so 
Use that opportunity to throw a fly if you can. A sinking fly, put it in their face and make them not have to work for it. It's a delicate balance of making it think it was their idea and not making them work for it too much. So that's, uh, that's my advice on that deal. The things that will affect the redfish's mood, it's going to be first and foremost uh, tidal movement. Tidal movement, I believe, is the number one factor of a redfish's mood and his inclination to eat because right now the shrimp are there. They're there all the time. They're up in the grass. They're accessible to the redfish. Now, I love a falling tide this time of year because the falling tide sucks those shrimp out of the grass, and that's when you really get them going nuts. But that's not the only time they're going to school. They've got plenty to eat all the time this time of year. So why are they eating sometimes and why are they not eating other times? Change is good. Change is good. If you have a moving tide, whether it's coming in or going out, that's a good sign. The stronger the tide, the faster moving the tide, the better. The things that make the fish lethargic is whenever that tide is really slow. Um, So tomorrow... We've got a moving tide, but it's not going to fall very far. We've got like a three to four inch fallout, and then it's going to start coming back up three to four inches. That is not ideal, but we've got uh, a change, and when that change comes, I am going to be moving. Uh, I'm using that those slack tide opportunities to change my location and uh, see what else is going on. The only way I'll stay put in a slack tide situation is if... The fish were just going bananas, and I'm pretty sure they're going to fire back up in the same areas after the tide starts moving again. But sometimes, even if I know they are, I know where other fish are going to be, and I'm trying to cut down on the downtime by moving the boat to a different spot while I know the tide's changing over. I'll go from a spot where it's slack tide to a spot I know that it's already changed over. So in Galveston, sometimes that means... If you're fishing away from the rail bri- the uh, the causeway bridge, you might want to go closer to it um, when you when you hit a slack tide because the tide is already moving closer to the bridge. Wherever your pass is, if you're near San Luis Pass, if you're near uh, down in Freeport uh, near the jetties or something like that, and you're fishing a little bit away from them, and you hit a slack tide, you can move toward those passes. And you're going to have a tide that's already moving once you get there because there's a delay in that. So you can be more efficient in planning your day that way. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow. I know that I've got a changing tide right around uh, 645, 7 a.m. It's going to go from incoming to outgoing. Uh, I'm not going to even worry about that slack tide. I'm going to go set up where I'm going to set up, and I'm going to start polling around. I'm going to start looking and seeing what's going on because that tide, that falling tide is going to start, and I think we're going to have some action early, and then it's going to slow down, and then the action should get really good right around 11 o'clock, right before it changes over, and then once we've beat on a few fish during that uh, time right before it changes, I'm picking up and moving. And when I move that time... I'm hoping I have uh, have had a successful morning already, and we've caught four, five, six, seven fish. And I'm going to move to a sandy bottom, clear water. 
and I'm going to hunt bigger fish. I'm going to see fewer fish, but my goal in that midday time frame, unless I've got schooling fish everywhere, which I'll stay on because that's just a ton of fun. But if I don't have schooling fish anymore and that thing is kind of settled down, I'm going to Sandy Bottoms, clear water, and I'm hunting. Uh, you know, I want to see, I may only see 10 fish, but I'm going to go slow. I'm going to be methodical. I want to, I want to get shots at those fish and I want to catch two or three of them. That's the goal. Uh, places that you can look to, uh, to do well in if it's a sandy bottom, uh, if it's got the salt grass edges, that's definitely a winner. Uh, if you have grass growing on the bottom of that sand, uh, that sandy bottom, that's even better. That's going to make your water clear and it's going to hold shrimp in that grass. So you're more likely to have tail and fish in those areas. So I've got a few of those areas that uh, I'm holding back. A couple of them are a pretty good run uh, in the boat. And so I'm just going to kind of wait till we've had a little success, hopefully in the morning, and then we're going to pick up and go and look for those, uh, hopefully bigger fish that we can sight cast to. Um, another thing just by way of what changes the fish's mood is I don't look at a high barometric pressure as necessarily a bad thing. I definitely don't look as a, at a low barometric pressure as a bad thing. A low barometric pressure is a good thing, but the high barometric pressure doesn't always have to be a bad thing. The thing that's bad is constant, stable barometric pressure. If you look at your majors and your minors, your lunar, your lunar cycles, and the times where the fish activity is the greatest, compare that to your barometric pressure. It changes during those times. And when you have a changing barometric pressure, when you have a changing wind pattern, when you have a, a moving tide, those are the times you're going to catch more fish. Those are the times when it makes a difference whether or not if I miss a fish and I hit him on the tail, he's going to turn around and eat it. If you got a stable high barometric pressure, uh, low wind, not much tidal movement, and you see a redfish and you accidentally put it on his tail, he's changing zip codes. He's afraid of it. If you twitch your paddle tail in front of him wrong, he's going to change zip codes. You, If you know that going into it, and you're and you're trying to be mindful of it while you're out on the water. It changes your approach. When I've got a strong moving tide, I've got a, a a moving, changing barometric pressure. I've got, you know, at least a, a five to ten mile an hour wind. I'm a little more reckless with with the placement of my lure. With when I tell a client to cast on a school, uh, it's like Sunday morning. I was not in a great position to cast on the school of fish, but all the things were right. I threw from about f- probably 35, 40 yards away at the end of what I'm capable of, of throwing and, uh, and hit in not a great spot, almost in the middle of the school and hooked up anyway. Had I done that on a morning when I had a stable high pressure and a very slow moving tide, the whole school would have broke up and I wouldn't have caught any fish out that school. So if you think about those things when you're planning your trip, then it may change the tackle that you throw. You may decide to go with a lighter jig head. You may decide to go with a bugs jig. You may decide to throw the fly. 
Uh, it can definitely change your results on the water if you're doing the same thing uh, every time. And and I'll be honest, I'm guilty of throwing the same thing. I like a three sixteenths ounce uh, jig head. I do my best to never have to change that size. I love the casting. I love the contact with the bottom and the ability to fish it in different ways. I can hold the rod tip up and reel it and and drift it over an oyster shell, or I can keep my rod tip down and graze the bottom uh, without dredging a hole like a quarter inch does. And I just like it. Now, the difference for me is if I have really skittish fish, I'm going to change my placement in casting. I will, all the time I do this, I will throw my lure up into the edge of the grass and twitch it until it just drips down into the water. And it, it causes a very, uh, a very soft entry, which doesn't spook the fish. I'll put it well out away from the fish and try to cross the fish's path with it. I'll throw 10 feet past them uh, and try to intersect their path. That to me is a much more effective way to catch fish, even when the fish are fired up. But you get away with a lot more when you've got a moving barometric pressure, low barometric pressure, moving tide, a tiny bit of wind, uh, and and your lunar cycles are, are just right. It it can be a lot more forgiving. Just watch. Just watch on social media. You see certain folks, certain times of the month that are like killing it. And then all of a sudden, right about now, when we're in between the new moon and the full moon, and uh, the fishing can get good, but you have slower, shallower tides, which is the biggest thing that can that can mess with the fishing. And so you can have a tough day, a random tough day will pop up once in a while. Uh, it happens, you know. So you just got to be a little more careful about how you're fishing for them. And... Uh, and you'll do all right to keep to keep those things in mind. Now, we're seeing more and more areas pop up with schooling fish. I've heard reports of schools in Freeport. Uh, I think that there's some schools down in the south end, south area of, uh, of Galveston, West Bay, East Bay. And so things are really cranking off. It's right on time. It's middle of October. It's We're doing it. This is going to be this way for a while until... The dreaded duck hunters show up in the marsh and they're going to be right where I want to fish and they're going to be there till about 9 a.m. and it's going to drive me nuts. So if you're a duck hunter, I, I, I feel for you. I hear it. I know you're out there. We're sharing this outdoor space. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm going to keep my distance, but you're going to have redfish school. I know of two blinds in particular that... If they don't bring a fishing pole uh, to their duck blind, they're crazy because they're going to have redfish schooling right by their feet um, all morning. So so there's that. I, on Sunday when I was out, uh, there was your typical – this happens every time I go out on the weekend. There is a way home that I go every time. If the tide is high enough, which it is all fall – I cut through uh, Pierce's Marsh to get back to my house. There is, there are only, well, there's a total of four entries into Pierce's Marsh. Really three main entries. One of them doesn't even count hardly. You can barely get in it. But 
they're far apart. You don't skip one and go out of your way just because someone's sitting in the, uh, you know, in the mouth of it. Well, I come around the corner in West Bay. There's a T-top boat blocking the entire uh, channel to get into Pierce's Marsh, the main artery of Pierce's Marsh where I've got to go to to get home. And he was blocking the whole thing, huge boat. So I just kind of shook my head and skipped that entrance and went all the way down the diversionary and took a right. And as I'm taking a right, that's another big canal right there. There are not one, but two boats blocking the whole canal. Well, I was mad at this point. So I... I knew the tide was high enough to where I could cut across this shallow corner, and I did. I cut right across the shallow corner, and the dude in the boat is is shaking his head at me, and I'm like, I don't know what you people want us to do. Like, you don't own you don't own the marsh. You're blocking Pierce's Marsh is 993 acres. You are blocking a thousand acres of marshland by sitting there. So, that's my rant. Um, that's my rant for for today. I um, I just flew on past him. I didn't make any hand gestures. I didn't I didn't acknowledge him. Um, and then there was a boat coming out that was flew right past him too. So that warmed my heart a little bit. But yeah, um, don't do that. If you're in a boat and you're listening to this and you just happen upon this podcast, don't sit in the mouth of a bayou and block the whole thing. If you want to fish it, that's fine. Sit off to the side and know that people are going to fly past you. And that's what you're going to have to deal with for choosing to fish that spot when you have an entire bay to fish. All right. Climbing down off the soapbox. Let's do, uh, take a deep breath. I got all riled up. Uh, let's do the Bible tidbit. Lord knows I need, I need it after that. Have you... Uh, have you ever had uh, a good day and then you, you got something, you got something minor that upsets you and it, you, it kind of seems like it ruined your day because you'll, you'll focus on that thing. You'll let that one little thing ruin your whole day. I have been that way and I've noticed that my kids uh, have an inclination to do that, all of them. I think maybe as humans, we all have that inclination. Having a great day, everything's good. Something goes wrong and especially if it hurts your feelings or discourages you, uh, you have uh, the cap- you have the inclination to, to let it ruin your whole day. You cast a gray cloud over everything else that's happened that day. And I was thinking... We are all incredibly, incredibly blessed. You may, you may be like, wait a second, Matt, you don't know everybody's story. Well, here's the thing. I know I am. All of my kids and, and my wife, uh, 10 fingers and 10 toes. My, my parents are still alive and healthy. Uh, my sister's doing great. Uh, our bills are paid. I've got a great uh, work life. Um, Life is good. I get to enjoy the outdoors. Like I am blessed beyond measure. God has been so good to me. But it hasn't been without struggles, right? Everybody has their struggles. And if you are going through a struggle, you need to understand that uh, suffering 
as part of the Christian life is normal. There are scriptures all over the Bible that talk about the uh, talk about suffering as just a normality, a symptom of living in this world. Becoming a Christian and following Christ does not make you uh, immune to suffering in this life on this earth. I've been through it. I was in a, an art flash explosion um, about. We're coming up on 12 years ago, I believe. I was burnt uh, third, second and third degree from both my elbows down to uh, my fingertips on both arms. I was burnt down the side, the right side of my face. It could have been a lot, a lot worse. It was a Category 3 arc flash, if uh, if you know anything about that. Uh, I've been through a, uh, a divorce when I was 25 years old and had very young kids. Uh, I've gone through problems at work and problems with health health and all kinds of stuff and worrying about uh, money and all that kind of stuff. It's normal, guys, right? So uh, the Bible tidbit that I wanted to bring up to you today is in the book of Matthew chapter 9. Uh, it starts in verse 18. There is a a, a woman. So Jesus is, is on his way to heal uh, someone or bring someone back from the dead. I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. But uh, as he's walking in a crowd, there is a woman who is suffering from a discharge of blood. Um, I can only imagine that is menstrual related uh, and that she's had this issue, it says, for 12 years. Uh that is a long time to be dealing with a sickness. And you might say, well, uh, why, would a, why would a loving, compassionate God allow that to take place for so long and then heal her? Well, I'm not going to pretend to know the mind of God. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways, that we cannot comprehend uh, the what and why of everything that he's doing. But scripturally speaking, I'm not venturing too far off the path to say that this was for the glory of God through the ministry of Christ. Christ's ministry is in full swing at this point in time. He's performing a lot of miracles. And this woman... uh, comes and just touches his garment because she thinks to herself, if I can just touch him, then just just his power rubbing off on me is going to heal me. So she comes in full faith that just the contact with Christ is going to heal her. That's an important part of the story in the faith that she has in that. The other, but the part that I, I, there's a whole, probably three sermons in, in this passage that someone could preach, right? I'm not going to do that. This is called a tidbit, not a sermon every week. But what I want to focus on is the 12 years that this lady was suffering in this way. And at the end of those 12 years, her faith is so strong that she believes she only has to touch Christ and she'll be healed. And so I guess my goal is to encourage you that if you're going through something, uh, God has a plan for it. It's going to be used for His glory and your good.
the book of Isaiah says that we are like the dew on the grass. We're here in the morning and gone by the afternoon. So our lives are a lot, they seem a lot more important. Our time on earth seem a lot more important to us than, uh, than they are really in the grand scheme of things. God has a plan. He's working it out. Be faithful and know that he has not forgotten about you. Um, I don't know what that looks like or how that plays out in your scenario. And I know that there are people that die from terminal illnesses every day. All I can tell you about that is that their, their breath and their time on earth was not wasted. God used it. And, uh, and hopefully they know, uh, they have a saving faith in Christ and they're with him in glory. So that's the tidbit for today. Go read that chapter, uh, chapter nine in Matthew. If you get a chance, we're probably going to hop back into Revelation again next week. Uh, Maybe we'll see. It's pretty heavy stuff. I'm in the middle of in that right now. So I've got a couple of trips to run uh, this week, and I am really looking forward to getting out on the water in the morning because the wind is looking good. And uh, I've got Mr. Tim Peterson on the bow, and he is an avid bass fisherman. And those bass guys just can put the lure on the nose of a redfish when they need to. So I'm excited. Going to have a good day. Hope you guys get out and catch some fish. Uh, If you would like to go for a ride on my Sabine, because you're honestly, seriously thinking about buying one, shoot me an email, emptystringers at gmail.com. I will take you out for a ride. I'll let you get behind this steering wheel uh, and see what it'll do. If uh, if you're really serious about buying one, uh, I think that Brian and Sabine's gifts, I think they're putting out the best gift on the market and uh, I fully support them. And so I will go uh, as far out of my way as possible to help you um, know what you're getting and help you down that path to getting that Sabine. Uh, Kevin's outside. Uh, custom baits. Why throw ordinary? You should check those out. They're at Fish Sticks. You can order them on his website uh, online. Kevin's Outside uh, YouTube channel as well. It's a cool place to learn to tie knots and all things saltwater fishing. Uh, If you would like to send me a DM on the Instagram, it's empty underscore stringers at, uh, well, sorry, at, I get the ads backwards, at empty underscore stringers on Instagram at empty stringers on the TikToks. Uh, Facebook is the empty stringers podcast. If you haven't switched over to the redfish network, you have to. Okay. Next week, the podcast, I think, I can't remember if next week is the last week. It'll be on both channels, but I don't think so. I think next week it's only going to be on the redfish network. So, you should go and follow the Redfish Network. Type it in your search bar on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Amazon, any place you get your podcast. Search it up. We're the only ones out there. The Paddler's Playbook is a great podcast. You should go listen to that. My buddy Drew puts out a great podcast uh, every couple of weeks. Um, his is dropping on Tuesday. Mine drops on Thursday. We got your week covered. Go do it. Also, go look, go listen to the Salty Yak Outdoor Podcast. I love Kerry and all that he's doing over there. Uh, he's been talking a lot of hunting, and the dude is just ate up with it, and I love it. I love to, uh, to hear him talk about his adventures. Also, I'm always listening to the Bite Me Podcast when I get a chance. Those are some good dudes as well. 
That's it, guys. I'm going fishing tomorrow. I'll see you guys later.